Thank you for tuning in to the Far Better Podcast, a work of Scattered Abroad, which is overseen by the East Hill Church of Christ in Pulaski, Tennessee. You can find our website at scatteredabroad.org. In this podcast, we seek to please God now, so our eternity is far better. Here is your host, Michael Clark. Well, welcome back. We're glad to have you for another episode. This is episode two of season one of Far Better under the Scattered Abroad Network. Glad that you've taken some time to sit with me and to listen as I tell you a little bit about my story called this season A Christian and Crohn's, and this episode is called Diagnosis Part 1. I I don't know if you have ever had to go through a diagnosis you know, process, but it's long and it's frustrating. Uh, typically when you get sick, what do you, what do you do? You, you, you go to the doctor, right? I mean, you, you sit down and you say, okay, where's my primary care, my physician, I'm going to go see him and I'm going to take care of this. When I get sick now, that's the first thing that I go to do. And so that's what I did this time. I started noticing these problems. And so I went to my regular care doctor and I started to sit down and explain what was going on to him. And he was asking me all of these questions and I'd say, no, it's not that it's, it's no, yes, no, no. And finally, he started to kind of look at me, and he said, hmm, I have no idea, which is not (laughs) incredibly comforting when your doctor is sitting there saying, I have no clue what's wrong with you. And it's not so much of a big deal now, looking back on it, for him to have said that because I know that he can only do so much. He's not trained in specific fields like the guys that I ended up going to see and the doctors I'm seeing even now. He can only do what he's been trained to do, but... When you think of a doctor, you think of someone that should know any type of infirmities that might come your way, right? And so when he looked at me and said, Michael, I have no idea what's going on with you, I thought, that's just great. How am I going to get this taken care of now? And so he said, I need to send you to this. And so he sent me to this particular man. He was a surgeon. We were thinking about maybe having to do surgery and he started to talk to me about certain things, and he said, all right, we're, we're going to give you this medicine, and if the problem doesn't fix itself, when it doesn't change, or if it doesn't change, I should say, then we need to do surgery. And so he gave me the medicine, and I had like a three-week period to take the medicine, and the medicine didn't take. It didn't work. And I kept going back to the doctor, and I kept telling him, I don't know what it is, but I can't keep the medicine. It's just not being effective. And he said, okay, we're going to need to do surgery then. And that, again, real quick, that's scary. Like, it really freaks me out, even to this day, to think about having to go under a knife. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this about me. I don't like needles. And I happen to get a disease where I have to constantly be poked with needles. And so I've gotten a little bit better about it over the last five years, but not much. And so this guy's looking at me and saying, we're going to have to put you to sleep and then cut you open and, and try to correct this problem. That doesn't make you feel great. And I just was kind of resigned to the fact that that was what was going to happen. But I had forgotten something that I needed to tell him. I had not told him about the weight loss. Now, 
in the event that there are any doctors or nurses listening to this, I know, trust me, I know now that that should have been the first thing out of my mouth. That, hey, I've lost 75 pounds without trying. I don't know what's going on. At that point, the the pants that I was wearing, I had gotten a, a belt that would fit my size again, and I had the belt so tight that the pants were just kind of folded up because I didn't want to go buy a whole new wardrobe in case I fixed this mess. And so I was very uncomfortable anywhere that I went because nothing really fit. And so I went home, and I told my dad and my mom at dinner one night, I said, well, I'm probably going to have to have surgery. And dad said, well, what did he say about the weight loss? I said, what do you mean? What did he say about the weight loss? I didn't tell him about the weight loss. And man, my dad let me have it. And he deserved to tell me what he said. I mean, I deserved what he said, I should say. He um, he told me very quickly that I have to be upfront about that, that I can't keep weight loss, that significant amount of weight loss, almost 100 pounds without trying to myself. I had to tell the doctor about it. And so I go back to meet with the surgeon to schedule the surgery, and I'm sitting down, and we're talking, and I said, by, by the way, um, I uh, – I've lost 75 pounds without trying, and I don't know why that's happening, but that that's not normal, right? And he looked at me, and he kind of chuckled and said, uh, no, that's not normal. And he said, look, everything that we're dealing with, what we were thinking was going to be the case with you was that we were going to have to give you some surgery because you're having GI problems. Well, if you've lost 75 pounds without trying, that's incredibly concerning you need to go to a GI doctor. I can't help you anymore. And I had maybe three meetings with this person. I, I can't remember their name, the surgeon that I'd met with. And so I go and schedule the meeting with the GI doctor. Now, that was Dr. Leal. He was the one that ended up diagnosing me with Crohn's. And so we are sitting down for an initial meeting and my wife was in nursing school at the time, and I, I believe she was not able to attend that particular session and that my mother-in-law was with me. And so the doctor starts telling me all of these things that it could be. He said it could be this, it could be cancer, it could be, and he lists all these other things. And he said Crohn's disease somewhere in there, but you and I both know the only thing I heard was cancer. The only thing I heard was cancer. And something about that word, when people hear it, they automatically think they've got it. And so here I am, 21 years old, sitting there thinking, I am six months into my marriage and I might have cancer? I'm, I'm going to die, possibly, if we can't fix this from cancer at 21 years of age? Like, how, how is that possible? Because, again, I, I was still young enough to think, I was untouchable. I was invincible. Nothing could ever happen to me. And so he said, we're going to need to schedule this. It's an outpatient procedure, and we're going to try to get a look and see if we can tell what's going on. And so that's what we scheduled, and that's what we did. And um, it, it That's a miserable process, by the way. I'm not going to get into too much detail of it because I don't know that you'd want me to. But... The, the preparation for that and then the procedure itself is 
a very taxing procedure and preparation. And so you're up all night. You're you're not getting any sleep. You're you're exhausted. You can't eat anything. And then you get into the place to have the procedure done, and everybody's talking about all the food that they want to eat for lunch. And you're sitting there thinking, I haven't eaten in almost two days. Can you all stop talking about food? And so put you to sleep, perform the procedure, and wake up, taken into a room. And the doctor comes in and he says, Mr. Clark, I've got good news. I've got bad news. And I said, okay, well, what's the, what's the good news? He said, the good news is what you have is very treatable. I thought, oh, great, it's cancer. And he said, the bad news is we can't cure it. And I thought, that doesn't sound good at all. And I said, well, what do I have? And he said, you have Crohn's disease. And I said, what's Crohn's disease? And I've been asked that question a million times, and it, the only way I can really explain it is I have a really hard time digesting food properly. And there's a lot of stomach pain involved. And so the doctor tells me exactly what's going on, and he says, I want you to come back, and we're going to start talking about potential treatment plans and options. And we're going to talk about that in the next episode. But I mentioned last week that why should we lay suffering at God's feet and act as if it's his fault that we're dealing with this? And you might be wondering why I say that, but if you go back to Genesis chapter 3 for a moment in your mind, or if you have a moment to in your Bible, go, go back to Genesis 3 and read over those first 13 verses about what had happened with Adam and Eve eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which they were specifically told not to, of them finding out that they were not clothed and they decided, you know, we probably should take care of this. And so they sow themselves some fig leaves to try to cover their bodies. And all of a sudden God shows up and is walking around the garden and he asks, where are you? Verse 9, and Adam comes out and says, well, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And God replies and says, well, who told you that you weren't clothed? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And Adam blamed Eve. You know, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now you might remember... Back in chapter 2, God had told them, and even in chapter 3... Eve reiterates what happens in verse 3, that if they ate of that tree, they would surely die. Now, here's the question we have to ask ourselves, and we're going to talk about this a lot in season 2, so I don't want to you know, beat around the bush and not cover the subject, but I also don't want to go ahead and cover my material for season 2. Is suffering a punishment from God because he doesn't like us? Or is suffering a consequence of our actions as sinful human beings? And then the question might be, well, how is it fair that one person could mess it up for everybody? Okay, you remember in high school or in middle school when one person would ruin the pizza party for everybody? 
Because of this person's actions, none of you can have pizza. Because of this person's actions, all of you have to take the test, or whatever the case may have been. You remember those? Yeah, they happened, didn't they? And weren't you taught, just like I was, that actions have consequences, and sometimes those consequences stretch beyond just the person who committed the action? I want you to notice Genesis three fourteen and following. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Is that a consequence for the serpent's role in what had happened? Yes. Verse 15 goes even further. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. So essentially... Satan is going to be delivered a death blow. That's a consequence, isn't it? In verse 16, he turns to Eve, and he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Women today that you want to ask the question, how is it that men could be over women? Look back to Genesis 3. It has nothing to do with God being a sexist. It's a consequence. And Adam, he has consequences as well. He said to Adam, because you've heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face shall you eat the bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return." And then you drop down to verses 22 through 24, and you find out where suffering truly begins. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand and take out of the tree of life and eat and live forever, kick them out. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out man and he placed cherubim, or angels, at the east of the Garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. You see, what we don't really talk about a lot of is the fact that Adam and Eve had an opportunity to continue to live forever because of the tree of life. I mean, it's all there in the name, right? Tree of life. And God had promised them certain death. Are you dying right now? I am. So is everybody else in the world because every day, every second, we get that much closer to death and that much closer to the time when our time on this earth is over. And so, we are dying. And that was a consequence of Adam and Eve's actions. So how could I get Crohn's disease? Not fair that I was just happened to be born with the exact genetic code or makeup that could, under the right circumstances, give me that disease. That doesn't seem very fair, does it? And then I have to stop and realize, though, that none of it's fair to God. That he could do all of this for us, that he could give us everything that he's given us, and then we could sit back and say to him, thanks but no thanks, we want to do our own thing, and then expect God to just deal with it. And that there be no consequences for our actions. I can tell you a certainty. And not many people know this. I didn't really advertise it a lot, nor would I typically. 
But I was mad when they told me the diagnosis. And I spent a couple of weeks after that thinking, how is it fair that I could get diagnosed with this when I'm planning to be a preacher? I'm studying at the Memphis School of Preaching. I just got married. All of the, all, you know, and on and on I can go. And I had to have a reality check to realize I'm not special. I mean, I'm special to God, don't get me wrong. I'm special to the one who created me, but I'm not exempt from suffering in this life just because I pick up a Bible and decide to be a preacher. Neither are you. You're special because you're made in the image of God. But you do live in a world that is suffering because of sin. And that's why viruses and diseases and these illnesses that are out there exist. What we do with them, how we respond to them, is everything. Next week, we're going to continue to pick up with the opportunity of looking at the diagnosis part two. And I hope you'll tune in then. But until then, take care and God bless. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Scattered Abroad Network. If you would like to email us, you can do so at the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. That's the Scattered Abroad Network at gmail.com. Remember, you can check the show notes below for all of our social media platform links. Also, don't forget that you can find us on all major podcast platforms and please leave us a rating or review. We hope and pray that this has helped you grow closer to Christ even though we are scattered abroad. May God bless you.